Welcome to the Dead Pixel Society podcast, the photo imaging industry's leading news source. Here's your host, Gary Peugeot. The Dead Pixel Society podcast is brought to you by MediaClip, Photo Finale, and Advertech Printing. Hello again and welcome to the Dead Pixel Society podcast. I'm your host, Gary Peugeot, and today we're joined by world-renowned photographer Joe McNally, who's coming to us from Connecticut. Hi, Joe. How are you today? Hey, Gary, how's it going? Doing Good. well. Good. Listen, I really appreciate you taking time out of your uh, busy shooting schedule to uh, talk. You were actually doing, you did the Olympics this year, correct? I did. Tokyo was was a wonderful Olympics in many ways, also strange uh, <laughs> and, and difficult, but I was glad I went. Yeah. Yeah, that was one of the things I've uh, I've heard in some of the recent interviews you've done. It was one of the most challenging Olympics you've ever had to shoot. How many Olympics have you shot? A total of four, kind of spaced out over time. Okay. Okay. And how does one get the gig of being an Olympic photographer? Well, uh, it's not – it doesn't come to you easy now. Uh, you know, in the days when magazines really ruled ruled the earth – I had a contract with Sports Illustrated back in the 80s, mm-hmm. and I went to the 1984 Olympics, actually for ABC Television was my client. In 2000, I went to the Sydney Olympics for Time Magazine, and then the Rio Olympics for Sports Illustrated, and then this last Olympics, I was working with Zuma Press as a worldwide distribution agency. So you have to kind of mix and match. You, it, it is good to have covered several because then you're in the Olympic system right? and you can be grandfathered in for credentials occasionally. Mm-hmm. But usually, you know, the process would be to have a magazine or an entity, a publishing entity back you for the mm-hmm. credential. So let's talk a little bit about your beginnings in the industry, because you are, you self, you're self-described, as you said before the interview, a kitchen sink photographer. You've done a little bit of everything. A lot of people know your work from sports, but you've done travel, commercial, all kinds of things. What got you into the business to start? I picked up a camera in school. I was a writing major in school, and I was required to take a photography course. I could not avoid it. Not that I would have tried. You know, uh, photography at that point was like, okay, cool. I'll have to take this class. I'll give it a try. Sounds like fun. And I picked up a camera, and it immediately felt natural in my hands. And it was a black hole for me. It just sucked me in. I I was like, this is what I need to do. And that was back when you had to do the whole process yourself, right? I mean, you were probably spooling your own film. You were probably developing your own film in a dark room. You were doing, having, you know, to make prints for critiques and all of that, correct? Yep. We, uh, I grew up in a black and white dark room and the, first camera I used for that class was my dad's was an old rangefinder called a beauty light three. <laughs> and, <laughs> I think I've uh, ever heard of that one. <laughs> no, it's pretty obscure. Dad used to take the, you know, the family vacation pictures with it. So I borrowed that and, you know, was off to the races, learning, failing, learning, failing, you know, as you do. And I, I grew determined over time that yes, this would be, the area of journalism. I was always interested in journalism. I, I was, as I say, I was in a writing curriculum mm-hmm. and I wrote for my high school paper, et cetera. So I've always been interested in telling stories. Sure. To me, the camera was a real gift and a notion that I could tell stories visually. Mm-hmm. Pretty wonderful. 
Did you go straight into a journalism path, kind of the traditional, maybe a daily newspaper or a weekly newspaper out of college, or did you, you know, try and build up your portfolio doing something else? What was your, did you get any guidance, I guess, in terms of career coming out at that point? My professor at Syracuse, uh, Fred Demarest, was a major influence in my life, an incredibly good teacher and a decent man. He had always had good advice uh, Mm -hmm. for photography and for the world. And so I was determined to go to New York City. I started at newspapers, but very ingloriously so. Uh, I was not a newspaper photographer right away. I started and took a job at the New York Daily News, which was New York's picture newspaper in the day, Mm -hmm. as a copy boy. And a copy boy back in the day of hot lead printed paper and physical paper that had to be moved you that's what you did you ran from desk to desk on deadline you you moved deadline copy from one slot to the other mm-hmm. you went and got coffee for editors you went and picked up bags of film from photographers mm-hmm. you were a, a glorified errant kid mm-hmm. basically which i guess as a college graduate you were like wow this is not really what i expected was it <laughs> Well, New York is a very good and also unforgiving teacher. <laughs> yes, I hit I hit New York City. I had a master's degree in photojournalism from Syracuse. And I thought, well, you know, the world <laughs> the is your oyster, wait- right? Yeah, the city's waiting for me, man. And <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, uh, foolish and hubristic and well, it's just plain dumb, I guess you could, that would be the one word you would put at. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, I'm glad for that. I'm glad it was hard. I'm glad I had the experiences I did in the early going at the paper because it got me into the mix mm-hmm. and it taught me a lot about durability, hanging in there, hearing no a lot right. and not necessarily being welcomed, you know, mm-hmm. having to kind of push the door open instead of having it open for you. You recently published a book, and this is what I really want to talk to you about, is it's called The Real Deal, Field Notes from the Life of a Working Photographer. And I like the phrase working photographer, because if you look at the breadth of your work, it's really a lot of different types of work, a lot of things you've had to learn along the way. And that's really part of, I think, working is always learning. True. Uh, The choice of the word working was a very considered decision on the part of my editor and myself because we thought field notes from the life of a professional photographer. Mm. No, the term professional photographer has become, I don't know, let's call it elastic. Mm -hmm. You know, um, let's a lot of folks out there calling themselves professionals. Right. So the, the hallmark of my career, if you wanted to, throw a descriptor on it is that, yes, I've worked. I've worked for mm-hmm. 40 years with nothing between me and the poorhouse except a camera in my hand. Right. So, and I've had my bumps to be sure, but as yeah. you say, it's a learning process. Yeah. I mean, you've had to adapt, obviously. There was the, you were shooting, you know, black and white color. I'm sure you shot a lot of Kodachrome and then you had to make the transition to digital and work both because sometimes digital was, was better and this nice film was better and you have to use a bunch of changes in technology you know to be a working photographer i think you really have to try and master all levels of the craft where i think like you said there is an element in the professional photographer ranks where it's really more about giving workshops and things like that well yeah i mean mentoring is a powerful thing and i love the idea that the the, the photo community is very much a community right and there's a lot of mentoring going on a lot of teaching going on some of it is 
better than others or different, whatever mm-hmm. you might call it. But there is sure. a kind of a pass it on ethic to this industry, which I've always appreciated. I was mentored, yeah. you know, sometimes fiercely by wire service editors and, yeah. and uh, old timey newspaper yeah. You know, photographers who would pull you aside, listen, kid, I tell you what you do, that kind of a thing, you know, yeah. but it is, I'm still learning. I'm still trying to find my next good photograph. I'm still trying to get to another level. After you moved out of the, the New York's picture newspaper, as you say, what was your next step? Did you ever, did you shoot much for them and then move into wire services or just totally freelance? Well, it's, it's a, a turbulent you know, sort of, you know, it's not a straight line. Let's put it that way. So we had a, we had a major strike at the daily news on Mm -hmm. 88 days Mm -hmm. and the guild members, we ended up uh, forming small newspapers to substitute because there was a big hole in the culture of New York when the daily news went dark. Right. And at the time in the seventies, if you didn't get on the subway with a newspaper, it would be almost like you forgot your pants, you know, I mean, it was just part (laughs) of the culture, you know? So these little, the city news was the one I worked for. Mm -hmm. And Danny Farrell took me on, who was the Dean of New York city press photography at the time. And I learned a lot from Danny. So all of a sudden I was thrown out on the street for this little newspaper and I started shooting politics and ball games and you name it. And then, of course, the strike ended. I went back to the news and given the economic trouble, they fired me. So I went back out on the street and started to work uh, for wire services, the New York Times, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And then my first job offer as a full-time staff photographer was for ABC television. Okay. They needed a, a network still photographer and somehow I got that job. So what does that entitle, the network still photographer? Is that like taking pictures other performances for press kits and things like that, or is it headshots or what, what kind of thing, what kind of photography is that? All of the above, you know, I could have a week where I'd shoot ABC Monday night football mm-hmm. and then go to Washington and photograph Ted Koppel on the set of nightline, mm-hmm. then come back to ABC in New York and shoot a still life of an Emmy mm-hmm. and then go to all my children and do beauty portraits of uh, Susan Lucci. It was a tough gig is what you're saying. It was hard. It was hard. Absolutely. Because on every job, Gary, I had to shoot color and black and white, horizontal, vertical. Right. Because you didn't know where the pictures would be used. Right. So it made you very nimble. Mm-hmm. And it also introduced me to Kodachrome right. and lighting, you know, because all of a sudden I went from a black and white street photographer to having to mm-hmm. light a set and shoot Kodachrome. And I never assisted anybody. It was trial and error, mm-hmm. emphasis on the error. Did you have like the imposter syndrome a little bit coming into that situation when you were like, wow, I'm supposed to light this soap opera actress and do it a great job. And I don't have a lot of experience doing it. Like, Yeah. I mean, there was another staff photographer there who had vastly more technical experience than I did. I was thoroughly intimidated mm-hmm. by the whole atmosphere of it, mm-hmm. but you know, uh, you hang in there and you learn hopefully gracefully, Mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, thankfully that was a job. The still photographer for a network television operation is the caboose of the operation. You are not given much thought or time Mm because they're there to make TV, not stills. Right. So you had to learn to work fast and efficiently. Absolutely. And as I have said before, it was a job that sort of expected failure, And I routinely delivered on that expectation, but I did learn, you know, you'd have, you had to, you had to get quick and good. You know, the, the director would let you in front of the cameras for 
two or three minutes with mm-hmm. the talent. Right. And I'm shooting color and black and white horizontal vertical in two or three minutes. Right. And you got to make a subject comfortable in that short amount of time and get established some sort of rapport or something. And it's, wow, that's something. But does that go back to the street photography aspect? Because in that, you do have to establish a quick rapport with a subject too, though. Sure. I mean, growing up and, and bouncing off of newspapers and wire services photographically is probably one of the best educations you could possibly have mm-hmm. because you do three or four assignments in a day and they'd all be different. Mm-hmm. And as you say, you had to move quick strike a rapport, make something happen, and then move on. Mm-hmm. And it was the same thing, only somewhat more technically complex because I threw the component of color into the mix when I was shooting for ABC. And you learn lessons. You know, I, I flew down to Pennsylvania with Barbara Walters to photograph maybe Eisenhower. And this was before, you know, maybe passed away shortly after this interview. But they let me this, you know, the classic two or three minutes. Okay, Stales. And I literally, almost like a a runner sliding into second base. I came under the cameras and I was on my knees and I had my camera. And Mamie Eisenhower just had a wag the finger at me. And she said, no, young man, you never shoot a lady from below her chin line. And that's a lesson. That's a lesson I learned very quickly. And I said, Yes, Mrs. Eisenhower, I understand. And I made a more decent presentation of myself and shot shot the pictures. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Photo retailers, energize your sales with ShareMeChat, the proven texting platform. Using chat to text on your website keeps your customers connected and buying. See us at Pro and IPI to find out why dealers using ShareMeChat close more sales without adding staff. Find out more at ShareMe.chat. Wow. You mentioned mentoring, and I'm sure there's probably photographers that you've mentored over the years. Now, they don't have the advantages today of wire service, copy boy environment because that's kind of gone away. What advice would you give to photographers who want to follow your path of getting that well-rounded experience? That's a a good and tough question, Gary. Yes, newspapers, magazines have faded in the uh, repertory of of photographers. So I, I think what's been thrown back on the photographer's shoulders is to kind of make their own way. One thing I do counsel young photographers always is to learn how to write well because mm-hmm. we're in a day and age where the phone doesn't ring off the hook with assignments as it did many years ago right so you have to write proposals you have to write coherent uh, rejoinders to emails and requests for work you have to mm-hmm. when a job does come in you have to be able to respond to that intelligently and conform the situation to a mutual place where you're going to get the job and you're going to feel good about getting the job, all of that. So that's a real component of what you need to know. Now, you also have to be varied in your skills. You have to know how to do video, Mm -hmm. even on a rudimentary level and audio. You have to know the web. Mm -hmm. You have to stay on top of uh, news reports and, and the world in general to see what trends are happening. Sure. And then also there's the time-honored tradition of trying to find an established photographer and working for them as an assistant. Mm-hmm. Which is harder and harder these days because there's fewer and fewer photographers who actually have physical studios, really. So many of them rent almost all of their equipment. They don't have a physical space really anymore. 
True. That, uh, that has happened for sure. The big rental houses mm-hmm. have their own staffs, but individual photographers, not as much as, as they once did. Now, you mentioned a couple of things that I think are really important. One is audio and one is video, because I hear keeping this phrase when I talk to my friends who are camera retailers or suppliers, they're really talking about reaching content creators, of which photography is a part of that, but also the video side, the vlogging side, now audio, because, you know, you have to be able to capture audio. Have you transitioned in, into that? And how difficult was that? It is. It's a, it's a different medium. You know, when we were pretty naive, I think, when DSLR started incorporating video into their array of technology, because, mm-hmm. you know, you had clients would assign you to do the stills and they say, oh, yeah, shoot a little video, too, right. as if it was no big deal, right. you know. It is a big deal. It's a different medium, requires different skills, requires good audio, editing afterwards, etc. And so you have to, I think, be a little bit of a free ring circus master, you know, within the context of your own studio or your own workspace to be able to do a variety of different things and bring to clients that which they need. And it has become a component here. I've directed several short films in the last three, four, five years. And it's a skill that is, you know, it's different. You're, you're an art director at that point, but you're an art director of the moving image. Right. And you have to know how to relate to a a camera person Mm -hmm. who's running the video. I don't really shoot the video myself. Right. That is, we hire people who are more experienced on that level. But the, again, the bottom line is the same in the, the, the defining similarity for any photographer, whether you're shooting video or stills, is tell a good story. Mm -hmm. Know where the story is going to go. But you still have to have some basic rudimentary techniques and skills to be able to convey a story. Absolutely. When I shot for the geographic, I shot for geographic for maybe over the span of 25 years. And to move the reader was your job, to get the reader involved in the magazine, in the story at hand. Right. And so if I got a picture in the National Geographic, it would have to succeed on at least three levels. It would have to be pictorially successful. It would have to be informationally Mm -hmm. successful. In other words, move the chains a little bit Mm -hmm. and provide information. And then it would have to be emotionally successful. That would be the best of the worlds, you know, that really involve the reader, make the reader laugh or cry or get angry or get interested Mm -hmm. or think or feel. That was that was the mission of the day. Still is. Geographic is probably the premier brand, if you will, probably along with Sports Illustrated in terms of illustrated storytelling. Uh, how did you get involved with National Geographic in the day? And you've had a relationship with them, like you said, more than 20 years. Well, I got to know Tom Kennedy, who is the DOP uh, mm-hmm. down at Geographic. And I, a bit of a convoluted story, so I won't go into it but we were lectured together on a uh, on a traveling what they call the NPPA flying short course right and it was actually a wonderful way of actually showing Tom my portfolio and at the end of that week he just looked at me and said you should come down and start shooting for us so I never actually went to geographic and petitioned for work or showed a portfolio Tom just said come on down and mm-hmm. uh, we'll, we'll put you to work That's great. We talked a little bit about technology earlier, and you've recently been using some of the latest technology, the Nikon Z9 platform, which, you know, you are a Nikon ambassador. And tell us a little bit about why 
you're going to be focusing more of your shooting with a Z9 because you weren't always warm to the mirrorless platform. Well, I was nervous about mirrorless, you know, the dawn of mirrorless. I, and I'll say I, I've enjoyed shooting the, the Nikon 6 and 7 style cameras, lots of technology and a small form factor. Right. But the thing is, I've always been a devoted fan of the flagship camera. Mm-hmm. So at Tokyo, I shot all D6 DSLR. Right. Yeah. And it's a robust camera. It gives you something to really hang on to. And now the Z9 comes along. It's a flagship mirrorless. It has the feel and density, not necessarily weight. It's smaller than a D6 or even a D850, but it does give you something to hang on to. And it is utterly and completely packed with cutting edge mirrorless technology. So what's not to like at that point? What is it specifically about it? Is it because it's similar enough to to the flagship DSLR, but it still has the advantages of the mirrorless? What's really the the distinguishing item? Yeah, it it has a flagship build and it has superior technology. Mm -hmm. The autofocus is astonishing. Mm -hmm. The speed of the camera is off the charts. The, um, you know, other things that are going on with it, the, the fact that it has no shutter and it has, it's a really, evolved, it's the first camera in the marketplace that I know about that has no shutter. So it moves so fast and the quality of file is beautiful and it's completely responsive. So I've got all of this stuff going for me in the mirrorless world but I have the robust build of what has always been associated with DSLR. And I think it's a, it's a good marriage, really good marriage for the photographer. Tell us a little bit more about the book. Why did you choose to write a book? I mean, in the forward, you said it, it's took you a couple of years, I think, to come together to write it. It did. I mean, writing is hard work (laughs) and requires, uh, you know, time at home. Right. And in front of a computer to think and plan and write. Yeah. And though that time was in short supply for a, a long time mm-hmm. until, of course, pandemic hit. Right. And then I was home and then <laughs> I thought, well, no more excuses, big guy. You know, <laughs> you know, I had signed the contract with Rocky Nook, my publisher, to do a book some five years ago. Right. And they are very patient people. <laughs> so finally, I was home. So a very small personal silver lining to the horrible aspects of the pandemic was for me, I was home and I was able to write this book. You have a book contract with a publisher and it's probably pretty wide open, right? You could write whatever you'd like, right? I mean, but you chose to really make it more of a, not a tutorial per se, but really providing solid advice as opposed to here's some great tips on getting great photos. Yeah, I mean, have to be honest, my editor and I were halfway through the book. I was about halfway done with it and we still weren't sure what it was, (laughs) you know, and the, it's not a super highway to a piece of information. It's not a book on posing. It's not a book on, you know, how to use Photoshop or anything at all like that. So it's not directed like that. I liken it uh, to something along the lines of a country road. Not a super highway. It's a country road. It's a meander through the life of a working photographer. And there's a lot of information and lessons. And there's some tech information in there as well. Mm -hmm. But it's presented anecdotally. Right. You know, you've been in the industry for, what, 40 years, per se. Why is this the right time, besides the pandemic, to release that book? Do 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 you think there's a need for that level of mentorship 
to younger photographers today? Yeah, I mean, that's the neighborhood I live in. You know, the the <laughs> technique, the craft, the pixels, the lenses, the cameras, all amazing, all need to be learned. You have to be familiar and build your craft to be sure. But the real essence of this is to work hard and be engaged, you know, be curious about the world because you are a visual reporter. And so you have to be really motivated and passionate about what people are doing. I'm hugely, I'm, I'm a people photographer, if you want to put another label on kind of the general run of my career. And I'm intensely curious about people. Uh, you know, who are they? What do they do? What's their life like? All of that. So I think the whole push of, of this book and its presence, you know, out there in the field is to not to counterweight the glut, if you will, of technical stuff that's out there, but maybe just a, um, a gentle reminder of why we're all doing this. Well, great. And where can people find information on the book and you? Sure. Uh, my website is joemcnally.com. Pretty straightforward. Mm -hmm. And we have a, a blog, you know, so joemcnally.com backslash blog, which we write regularly. And I'm over on Instagram at joemcnallyphoto. Great. Well, thank you, Joe, for your time and your uh, sharing of your story. Appreciate it. Hope people check out the book. I think it's due out early 2022, I think, is when it's actually going to be published. Is that correct? It is. It's hopefully making its way off a freighter in the Pacific, even as we speak. <laughs> we'll, good, see. Good. well, thank you, Joe. Have a great 2022 and hope to see you hopefully in person at an industry event sometime. I hope so, too. Thanks very much, Gary. It's an honor to be invited. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Dead Pixel Society podcast. Read more great stories and sign up for the newsletter at www.thedeadpixelssociety.com.